people and nations who are the traditional custodians of this land. I would also like to pay respects to elders, past and present, and extend that respect to other Aboriginal people present here this evening, for they hold the memories, the traditions, the cultures, and the hopes of Aboriginal Australia. This is, was, and always will be Aboriginal land. In particular, when we are talking about silence and silenced voices, it is really important that we remember on whose land we are tonight. A little bit of housekeeping before we start the evening. Women's toilets are over there. Men's toilets are over here. Fire exit is this way or up the stairs out there. We are recording this evening. So we are actually recording the audio. So if anyone is not comfortable with this, please let us know. Um, we will be eating dinner around 7.15, 7.20, depending on how the, the evening goes. Um, and if anyone has any issues with sight lines or with reading any of the live captioning, please feel free to move seats or to find your spot now where you can get the best visuals. I'm going to hand over to our host tonight, Joe Dunbar, and our three guests. She will introduce them all. Um, thank you all for coming. Hi, welcome and thank you for coming tonight. My name is Joe Dunbar, as Tawa has just said, and um, I'm very happy to be here with an amazing group of people tonight who we will introduce as the night goes on. Um, I'm a performance maker, a uh, bit of an artist, sort of, uh, advocate, really passionate about access. Um, but really also passionately about silence and the arts. This is why I'm here tonight. So, um, Tara and I have many of our conversations about um, how silence is really prevalent in our work and we don't really know it. We don't often know where it comes from. It could come from a place of political silence or it could come from a place of actual silence. And we produce amazing work. Um, another thing also is our fear of silence, but we strive so hard to find it, that place, that peace. So I thought we'd come together tonight and just have a chat about that. But first of all, I just want to quickly introduce who we have here tonight. So we have Anna Seymour, who is a dancer. Uh, so I'll talk a little bit more about herself in a minute. And we have Quinn, who is um, a queer theorist, PhD, academic, from political, science. Um, great to have Quinn with us tonight. And we also have Kate over here, who is a photographer. Okay. Um, there will be opportunities after dinner to sort of share the discussion around. You can ask us questions, we can answer them, you can say a comment, we can comment back, whatever. Okay, so how did you find it all at the beginning, that 15 minutes? Was it a little bit awkward? A little bit awkward? No? No? Good. Ah, I've got an awkward at the back. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Welcome. It's a comfortable evening, it's a safe space. You can practice the signs on the table if you need to talk. All right. So, Anna. I'd like to start with Anna Simo. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, 
and Dr. Okay, um, good evening everyone. My name's Anna and this is my sign name. It's a sign name for concepts we use in Auslan and it's obvious because my hair's so curly. Uh, so I was given that sign name when I was 10 years of age at school um, and only deaf people can give members of the community a sign, uh, a sign name. It's recognition of your personality, perhaps your appearance, um, mannerisms. And um, yeah, so you're, you're uh, welcomed into the community by giving a sign name. I am actually originally from Byron Bay. I moved to Melbourne 10 years ago. I'm a dancer, a choreographer and a teacher. Uh, tonight I'll be speaking about silence from a, from a, a, physical, a physical perspective of silence, so the physicality of it. A, you know, a dancer's perspective. You know, from projects I've been involved in, I'll talk quite a lot about silence and sound, and so I'll give you a little insight into my work. Um, I've got a video of a deaf artist from America. Her name's Christine um, Kim, Sam Kim. Have, have, have you guys heard of her? Are you familiar with her work? No? Well, this is a great opportunity. She's absolutely amazing, and I'm sure you'll fall in love with her. She's a sound artist, a visual artist, but she uses sounds as her medium, sound as her medium. So she'll demonstrate that. So a question for you, Anna. Before you actually show that piece of work, I'm wondering whether you can explain a little bit about what attracts you to that piece of work. Okay, well, I'll just call her CK for short. So Christine, um, She's, she's had a large influence on my, my, my practice and training as an artist. When I first, when I initially saw her work, I was blown away. It was quite emotional. Um, how she articulates. articulates what she's actually trying to physically express. I mean, she's done this for many, many years, but it's about the role of sound in our art and in our artwork. And she, she gave me the freedom, I guess, really, to um, embrace and have ownership of sound. Not, not just, you know, being deaf kind of subjugate the whole thing. You know, I can't access it, so therefore, you know, I'm, I'm unaware of it. Not at all. Christine made me feel, um, well, I can access sound. I have the right to access sound and I experience it in a different way to most regular people in the community and how they do. Okay, so maybe at this point we'll have a look at that piece of work. For, for Anna's work. If you could put Anna's work please up on the screen. Yeah, look, I might um, move to the left of you, Joe, to the right of you, beg your pardon. We'll just hold that bit. Okay. We'll just hold on for that. I would just like to add uh, one thing before you go on, Joe. Uh, that, that video was in American Sign Language, and so that's why I was watching the screen, the captioner, because I don't, I'm not okay with the ASL. It's a different language, American Sign Language, to Australian Sign Language. Uh, we have British Sign Language, uh, American Sign Language. Each country of the world actually has a different sign language. The next video that I show will show more of her work, whenever you're ready. Wow. That's fabulous. So um, I'm guessing that Christine's profoundly deaf and, uh, and she really works with the feeling of sound. And that was incredibly visual. So Anna, can you explain a little bit about your experience when it comes to dance? 
how you feel sound, how you see sound in space, what it feels like to you. Because you don't have the sense of hearing, you have a sense of touch. And you have a very different relationship with sound that's what other people have. So if you can just elaborate on that a little for us. Okay, just to, to give you a, an analogy, I guess, okay? Just, oh, no, 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 to give you an understanding of what I can actually hear. Regular hearing, so maybe you audience members, for instance, are in the range 10 to 15 decibels. Now, I'm at 130 decibels, so that means I'm profoundly deaf. I hear nothing. However, um, lots of people connect dance to sound and because it's to music. Mm. Now, I don't need sound or music for, to dance. Um, you know, you don't need to be deaf to learn sign language. I guess that's a, a parallel. You know, anyone, anyone can do that. And... Um, Really, I, I dance because I love movement. That's it. It's plain and simple. I love the physicality of it. I like the sweat. The I like creating. I, 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 you know, and sound doesn't influence my movements. I know sound and music can assist and can help movement, and it can help with the emotional connection to the rhythm and the beat and what have you. But I think, really. Um, I think hearing people generally are restricted by the sound. Whether myself, I feel I have total freedom. The sound doesn't tell me what to do. It doesn't instruct my movement, so I'm just able to move. I mean, I don't know where that comes from. Um, you know, I mean, we're just, yeah, we're all human and that's where it comes from. Yeah, it's an innate thing, I think. It's that connection that you have. Just one more question for you, Anna. When we talk about sound and our relationship to sound, and you've just identified that as a deaf person, um, and myself as a deaf person, we use our vision to connect to things around us. How we perceive other people, how we perceive the world is very much through our eyes. So art obviously influences your work. What's the biggest influence of your work? as a dancer, what influences you? Hmm. Is it the things that you see around you? I'll give you an example. I made a show for the Fringe Festival and it's called um, Distract, Distraction Community. Society. Society, big my pardon. That piece of work is very, very visual and it's very physical and there will be no spoken word or text or sign and we, we, we deliberately made that decision. Um, I can see in performance art often sound and, or, or text or spoken word accompanies it but it's not accessible for deaf audience members. Now, I want to throw out um, that concept, that concept and I want to make it extremely physical and visual. And I guess that's what influences me. So you will just work in a silent space, is that correct? Um, yeah. There will be sound, but I'm not relying on the sound to assist in 
choreographing my work, okay? The sound is designed to what I want. So um, I've, I create the work and then the sound comes later to assist it. Fantastic. Okay, can't wait to see that performance. Oh. Thank you for that, Anna. Okay, so now well, I'd like to move, move on. on. Thank you so much, Anna. Uh, keep an eye out for her show, which is Destruction Society, the Melbourne Fringe. It would be awesome, I think. On the 16th to the 18th of <laughs> September, <laughs> just for a plug. Plug in the show. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. So, um, Quinn, you're here with us today. Great to have you here. Um, I, would you like, could you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell yeah, us a bit sure. about yep. your background and where you're from. Yep. Yeah. Um, so my name's Quinn Eads. I am a poet and a writer. Um, I know, Joe, you're interested in my thoughts on political silence, but I, I might actually, I, I'm, I'll talk a bit about that, but I might actually just talk about my own creative process and silence Beautiful. tonight. Um, I wrote a PhD that, um, at La Trobe University in the English department I finished in 2014, uh, and it was published late last year. It's called All the Beginnings, a Queer Autobiography of the Body. Um, what I've discovered is that when I start writing my body, uh, my body writes back in all kinds of ways. Um, and I came out as trans about 18 months ago and I'm now transitioning from female to male and writing my next autobiography of the body, which is an autobiography of the transitioning body. When you say your body writes back, can you just tell us a little bit more about that and what way mm. did that happen? Actually very practical real-world ways, yeah. so uh, um, I had three surgeries during writing that book, okay. or that PhD. <laughs> One was a total lapros laparoscopic hysterectomy, um, which took my cervix, uh, my uterus and my fallopian tubes. Right. Uh, that was after I'd had two babies, and um, it made a great last chapter for my book, right? So <laughs> <laughs> I was in the ultrasound tech office and she was going, okay, so you're going to have to have a hysterectomy. And part of me was going, fuck, that's so full on. Yeah. And the other part was like, wow, that's a really good last chapter, right? <laughs> so, and while I was writing that book, I was particularly writing about women and writing and, and this idea that writing comes from the womb, that that's yeah. the core of our creativity or our centre. And... Um, and so I was kind of asking this question about, well, if my womb is gone, um, where do I write from? What comes after that? Right. So I'm feeling this kind of actual, this kind of silent core really there once it was gone. So you yeah. feel like you're taking out that thought? I, I did for a while. I had some fairly intense grief. And then I um, saw my acupuncturist who said, it's okay, the meridians stay, so the energy lines in Chinese medicine stay. So your womb is still there, it's a womb of light. And um, so I started um, connecting in with that about writing from a space of light. Um, and particularly of joy, so I find a lot in um, queer spaces and queer literature and writing, um, we tend to need to write the darkness, yes. uh, which is what I do too, uh, but I also, I want to write through that to joy as well, so, um, which is actually what the video clip is a representation of. So, so, so we have a look at that? Yeah, that might be a good segue. Yeah, okay, yeah. all right, yeah. cool. Okay, so <laughs> um, this is a very short bit of a film. It's a 1987 film called I've Heard the Mermaids Singing. Yep. 
Um, and that's Paulie, who is an amateur photographer who falls in love with a, a gallery curator whose girlfriend makes canvases of light. And um, I saw it. So it's a lesbian love triangle film. I saw it when I was about 15. And um, I fell in love with the canvas of light, basically. And, um, canvas of light. Canvas of light. Yeah, yeah. Light. 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 Yeah. Sorry to break into sign then, Karen. Um, yeah, so yeah, I am also an Auslan interpreter, which I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit because it feels yeah. appropriate in this context. That um, So I suffered, I was first diagnosed with depression when I was nine mm. and um, I had a very, very serious episode of depression um, in my early 30s. And the thing that is interesting about depression is that people go quiet in depression very, very yeah. regularly. Um, and there is a retreat, and I, and I think it comes from a need to have um, reparative silence and healing silence. Yeah. And, um, and what happened as I started coming out of that depression was I decided I needed to learn Auslan. And, um, and that's where... What, what made you decide to learn Auslan? Uh, I had an arm injury okay. from working on computers. And um, so, and I was good at languages, and I knew some deaf people, and I thought Auslan would be good. Then I saw interpreters walking around with tennis elbow straps, <laughs> and I was like, "Fucked, I'm fucked," but I kept doing it anyway. Um, but I, what I discovered, and part of that depression was writing blocks. So part of that was refusing to write. Yep. And the thing about refusing to write is it's actually very noisy because I would have a lot of writing in my head that I wouldn't let out. And um, so, would you say then? Actually, because you were sort of pushed into a place of silence where you had to retreat and be yourself, you found your art, you found your thought. Yeah, look, I think that's a simple version of the story. It's a very that's big story, but thing, yeah. yeah, I think partly that is. And um, when I first started, a couple of years into um, to being in the deaf community, I was given a name sign, which was this. Well, let's start. Can you show us? And that was because I was working at the women's circus and I was learning rigging and how to tie knots. And then, because everyone has to go to the women's circus when they first come to Melbourne, right? That's <laughs> and, and, and well, an thing. Yeah, okay, the yeah that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then um, about three years ago, in the middle of writing this book, um, a very good friend of mine, a deaf printmaker called Luke King, yeah. um, gave me a new, and I started transitioning, and he gave me a new name sign, which is this. Which makes me oh, a bit teary. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's so great. that's yeah, the yeah, cue because yeah. I changed my name to Quinn and, yeah. and, and now I write. And, yeah. um, and I write from a place of very deep silence, yeah, actually, yeah, that's yeah. quite profound and, um, and, and very productive. Yeah. So. yeah. That, that's a beautiful sign. Yeah. It's much better than mine. <laughs> Mine's awful. Mine's just like, actually, Anna gave me mine. What's your name? <laughs> mine. She just, um, <laughs> not only yeah. me, Joe. Uh, let's not talk about that. That's not why I'm here today. <laughs> um, can you just, like, you've mentioned your depression, you've mentioned your, um, your, your queerness as well, your transsexuality. Um, all of this has come from a place of silence, and a lot of the writing uh, centers around queer theory, feminist theory, it's actually a political silence, so yeah. it's almost like you're uprising through that. Can you, can you first uh, yeah. elaborate a little bit on that? Well, look, I think in queer um, or LGBTQI communities there's always a... Um, 
tension between mm. speaking and not speaking. Yeah. Um, whenever we speak, there are things we choose not to say, um, mm. and that's political. So what we what we keep for ourselves, what we hold, is really precious. And um, you know, you don't want to give everything away. But also in speaking, we create change. And um, and I'm a very big believer in the power of story to mm. to change. Yeah. to create social change and that's why I do what I do. It's why I tell the really intense stories that I tell about my own body and my own life because I think if I let this body speak, then I allow, um, it makes space for other bodies to speak. But I think speaking and writing is different to, to chatter and noise. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I think a lot of, it's a great topic because I, 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 I talk a lot about speaking um, and when I say speaking, I mean, language and text and storytelling and time and, you know, I, I kind of... Um, Robin Latham, who's a Yamachi artist who lives here in Melbourne, talks about uh, Dadiri, which is D-A-D-I-R-R-I, -D -D -I -I, Dadiri. Yeah. And it means deep listening. Um, and deep listening? Yeah. What is that? Well, she talks... She says about... There's a lot of white fellas that talk a lot and we can't listen, we don't know how to listen. You mean like with our ears? Like with our minds, with our bodies, right. with our ah, hearts. Yeah, yeah. So Dadiri is that process of sitting yeah. and, and being open and present. And I think to be open and present to flow and to creativity and making work, we have to have that space. We have to be in silence. That is so true. I think that's what makes a great artist, is actually being present. And, um, and whatever craft that you've got mm. is just being still and listening with the the moment with the space that you'll find your words in that and Anna will find the movement in that. Yep. And I think it's, um, it really is about listening um, to the silence almost. You're not listening to the words that are coming out of your mouth or the brain. You're listening to this and it's silent. It's great. Love it. It's addictive. It is. That's why I do what I do, even though it doesn't pay me enough. But, hey, <laughs> I'm not complaining, that's fine. <laughs> cool. <laughs> okay, that, that's great, that's really great. Um, could you, could you, what is your, most, your biggest influence right now, would you say? Uh, right now? Elaine Sixu has been a very big influence. So she's a French uh, feminist writer. She's a um, contemporary of a guy called Jacques Derrida, D-E-R-R-I-D-A. Um, but everyone knows about Derrida and no one knows about Sixu. Okay. So she talks about women writing their bodies and, and I have kind of taken that stuff and gone, I, I want all other um, bodies to be able to write, not just women's bodies. Yeah. Um, at the moment, my greatest kind of um, theoretical and creative love is Leslie Feinberg. Uh, who's a trans writer who wrote Stone Butch Blues, um, an amazing book called Transgender Warriors, who talks about um, if theory isn't crystallised into lived experience, then what are we doing? What are we doing this for? If, if it's all, all the theory's abstraction and words and we don't bring it into blood and sweat and tears, then what's it for? And that's kind of where I'm working from at the moment. That's good, that's great. I look forward to hearing a little bit more about that after dinner when we start to have our little conversation. So um, thank you for sharing that with us. And thank you for sharing us your sign name. It's beautiful. Thanks, Charlie. I'm jealous. <laughs> 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 anyway, <laughs> let's, let's move on. We have Kate with us tonight. And uh, thank you for being here with us. It's great to have you. And yeah, it's good. So you're a photographer. 
Mm -hmm. uh, could you tell us a bit more about your background? Or... Sure. Um, so I'm from Sydney and I, uh, I've been taking photos since I was a teenager, but really working professionally for the past uh, about four years. Um, and I also grew up with uh, a hearing impaired or hard of hearing. Um, but it was a mild to moderate loss, so it was quite easy to hide. I could, um, I, I got given hearing aids when I was 10, but I could get away often without wearing them, or so I thought. Um, and I basically spent 15, from when I was 10 until 26, not really talking about it. So in terms of being silent, I was incredibly silent about were you ashamed of it? Or? I was incredibly ashamed. Yeah, and okay, yeah. You know, it was this idea that people would think I wasn't capable if I couldn't hear everything, which now is absurd. <laughs> um, but it was really only two years ago that I started to think about it and realise, uh, sort of, I'd just hidden it. I just was in denial. Um, and it was two years ago that I finally realised it was something that I was going to have to accept and start talking about. So it was a really recent thing. Yeah. Really recent yeah. yeah. And okay. so I decided to use my photography and my art to um, not only did it empower myself, um, but I created a project that explored various stories of people with different levels of hearing loss and deafness. Um, basically as a way, it was basically for my younger self, I think, and something that if I had seen when I was younger would have really forced me to, I think it would have empowered me to accept my hearing loss and be proud about it and wear my hearing aids and show people, which I now do. But yes, I was very silent about it for many years. So you found freedom through your art, yeah. but um, but you came from a place of depression. So I imagine, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's a horrible word. I hate the word depression, repression. You know, it's, it's depressing. Um, negative, yeah. negative. Um, let's try and make it a little bit more positive. <laughs> yeah. Well, so <laughs> we can show. So I, d I mean, I could have shown my photos, but yeah. seeing as it was this fil a film format, I did create a film. Um, because through the project I learned sign language and started to be, you know, I, I'd never really been engaged with it. I'd never um, met people, ne met any other deaf people. So I wanted to show sign language in my film, uh, in my project. So I guess I can show the film I created. <coughs> so this is not, um, see here right now, this, this is another this, film. That this is done. a film part of Right Here, Right. So Right oh, Here, Right Now is yeah, a project. So yeah, it's yeah. mainly photography based, yeah. but I did create film because yeah. I knew I needed to show the movement of sign language. Beautiful. So this is it. Can we have a look? Yeah, let's yeah. have a look. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wow. That's something else. That, um, Part of that sort of capture how I feel when I'm sleeping. It's just so nice. It's just so that's a stunning piece of work. Um, yeah. So I guess I decided to show that because it also represents a bit of my visual style, which I think, in some ways, does represent silence. Um, yep. 
I've always been attracted to photography and um, films which have a lot of space and a lot of darkness and I think in some ways that's silence and that's where it's a place where you can reflect, it's a place where you can question things. It's sort of the opposite of all this information and noise and I think... The yeah, and I think there's something really beautiful in in silence, and um, it's where you can question things. And um, the same with when I'm photographing people. Um, in some ways, I, I often don't say a lot. Like, if even if it's just a portrait, and I'm there one on one. In some ways, people think it. Like it this space where you have to sort of say stuff and really entertain the person, whereas I've always found it quite awkward saying things. I don't quite like, I don't really like to talk a lot. Um, so in a way, I, I just sit them there and hold the camera up and that silence, eventually people become comfortable with it and I think that's when you get the most powerful images is when it's the subject is... So, so you're saying that uh, when you're capturing the moment, when you're getting that moment, um, that's when you take the photo, and that moment comes from a place of silence, so you're stillness. I mean, I'm hearing stillness a lot. I'm hearing stillness, and all three of you are just uh, talking about that place of stillness propels your art, and that's in silence. But we cover it up so much. Uh, with all this hecticness, and all these mobile phones, and all those pictures, and all those talk, 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 chatter, 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 when we find comfort in that silence, we don't need that. But other people, perhaps they forget, perhaps they feel it's necessary, but it's, it's a place that they're probably a little bit fearful of, because we don't know what it's going to uncover, maybe, and we find those moments. And uh, I've seen I've seen your work. And it's absolutely beautiful. You capture you capture these moments on people's faces and um, what they're doing, everything. And so it has to come from a place of silence. So yeah, and I think it's because it's often about the the subject or who whatever it, it is that they need that time to be with themselves. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people fear it because with their silence, if there's silence, then there's thoughts going on, and people ha it becomes an internal thing. And if you don't want to go, you know, if you don't want to be internal at that point, then you feel like you have to externalize things. So I think that's the fear, is where you have to. And you've been on a bit of a journey recently yourself with the yeah. sort of coming out of the sort of. Uh, it's not alright to have what I think is something wrong with me. It's actually alright to be me, and that's a massive undertaking, personal journey, and it's resulted in this beautiful work that you've done. So um, I think it's a testament to Grant. Really great. Good. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. I can smell food. <laughs> I can smell eyes. See, the food is ready. There's ah. <laughs> some hungry people here. So what's going to happen now is um, we are going to eat, yeah, happy day, um, but you know, grab yourself a plate, grab yourself a drink, 
Ah, ha-ha, I've just been told to remind you. This is dirty talking we're doing. You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? <laughs> dirty talking. You're going to eat with your hands. Okay, that's going to be, and there, there'll be some bowls on the table. Um, I encourage you, although actually it'll be a bit unfair to encourage you to talk in gestures only, but have a go. Imagine what it's like to someone who's signing and they're eating with their hands. <laughs> That's good. But anyway, um, go and get some food and enjoy yourselves, you know, have a chat. And we'll come back to the floor um, in about 15 minutes or so. And we can have a little banter. Okay? Good stuff. All right. Awesome. Good.